just in that department as well, and uh, it's just a, a few few advances we're making over the next few weeks in that department. But we want to uh, share and get uh, make uh, the the content on Sunday as readily available as possible, uh, so that you know not only blessing the people here, but blessing people that follow along outside. Maybe people don't have an opportunity to come on a Sunday for whatever reason. Um, I'm I'm really uh, really really chuffed with the way this morning's gone so far because it's sort of building up towards uh, towards the message quite uh, quite neatly and this was sort of inspired by uh, some reading that I've been doing recently actually it was a, a, a book I've been banging on about to everybody I, I've met by a guy called Alistair McGrath called Mere Apologetics um, uh, which is uh, a, a nod to C.S. Lewis's book Mere Christianity from the from the 50s and uh, written by uh, Alistair McGrath, who's sort of one of the one of the big figures in the uh, the modern apologetics movement, you might say, also a biologist. Um, but it, it sent off uh, it sent off a, a, a sort of a, a series of thoughts and and questions, and uh, and and just made me start to think in this whole area about faith and about uh, a little bit about the defence of our faith, but also the purposes of our faith and the things within our heart that kind of point towards God. In a, in a sense. Um, the title of the sermon this morning, or the discussion point rather, is called Strangers and Sojourners, uh, which uh, is, is, uh, is kind of from actually from the wild, Young's literal translation of that phrase where it talks about, uh, I think in the NIV, foreigners and, uh, and strangers or foreigners and pilgrims. Um, you sometimes see, and I quite liked uh, Ainsley's uh, translation this morning actually, where I think it was um, strangers and pilgrims. And uh, it's from that verse in Hebrew 11, um, where uh, that we that we read a little bit earlier, which I'm going uh, to bring up so that we can all, um, from verse 13 to 14, and these people were still living by faith when they died. It's talking about the patriarchs, the, the early uh, description in, in Hebrews 11. They did not receive the things promised; they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. In other words, they saw echoes of reality, and they welcomed it, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers, or strangers and sojourners on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own, and this was quite uh, quite challenging to me because, and I, and I think quite timely in a sense. What does this mean, looking for a country of our own? Now, if you were to ask me, what's your country or where are you from? Uh, most people don't ask me that question. Most people say, what part of England are you from? Uh, and this has been this is a story my entire life, and, and I smile politely and say I'm not. Um, and uh, because people make assumptions about the way that you look or the way that you talk or something along those lines. And I was born in Australia, my parents were born in Australia, my grandparents were born in Australia, my great grandparents were born in Australia, and so on and so forth and such like. So I would say I'm Australian. I'd say I have a fairly good, solid claim to being Australian. Yet, and yet, the reality is that. And, and what's happened is, around the world, we're seeing this strange and slightly unsettling phenomenon uh, where people are, I suppose, worried, scared, fearful. We keep being told that things are going to get bad or going to get worse or, or there's, we've got all these problems and, and it's this group of people that are causing it. And so the tendency is to kind of seek that refuge in, in, our, in our national identity. And... There's nothing wrong with that. There's great things about, about celebrating the good parts of your nation, the things that make you, uh, things that, 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 that make you better as a person that inspire you to greater heights. Um, you know, 
I always think of the second verse of our national anthem that says, from those who've come across the seas, we've boundless plains to share. Uh, and, 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 and it's kind of interesting in that kind of context and how often some of this stuff gets lost in, in very heated debate. Now, I'm not going to weigh into it extensively because that's just how you create controversy. But I would say the challenge is for the Christian in this instance because it really made me think about it. It's like if someone said, well, well, actually, where are you from? Now, I don't fit very well here, to be honest. That's why people keep asking me if I'm from England. Like, I really am not particularly Australian in, in terms of the definition. And I don't feel necessarily like I fit. And I was wondering, is that just because of the way that I talk or the way that I act or the way that I think? Or is it because there is within me an understanding as a Christian that actually we're all kind of foreigners and pilgrims? We're all immigrants. We're just temporarily residing on planet Earth. (laughs) But we're actually made for heaven. We were designed for a different place to where we are. And it kind of really reframes the debate in many of these things when you're starting to think to yourself, actually... Where I'm from is not here. This is my temporary residence. I have, uh, if you like, a temporary residency visa on earth because my passport is stamped in heaven. (laughs) And this is exciting for a couple of reasons. Not only because it starts to, to reframe the reality of all of this thing and starting to see how God wants us to think, but this feeling inside of us that I think is, is common in the human experience, certainly talked about a lot in, of, of a disconnection from the world in which we live, is a testament to the fact that we serve a God that we can't see, but our heart longs for our home country. Right? Let's, let's go back to that. It is a testimony of the reality of God. It points towards God in a way that is reasonable. We can't find logical proof and evidence upon which we, we can prove that God is there. And if we ever do reach that point, we have successfully reduced God to something that we understand, and therefore we're missing the God point. If we ever fully understand God and live without mystery, this is actually something Bill Johnson says, and I'm sort of paraphrasing and turning it around a bit, but it's a brilliant way of putting it. It's like if we fully understand God in the absence of mystery, and that is we understand the height, the depth, and the breadth of God, then we've not actually understood God. We've just simply reduced God to our understanding, and we're worshipping our own selves. (laughs) So I'm uncomfortable with mystery. But yet in creation and in our hearts is an evidence that points us home. And this is how we might have some assurance that when we say by faith, that this is actually a reasonable thing to have and a reasonable place to be. This is not a delusion. This is not uh, just a wish fulfillment. This is actually something that is testified to by the longing that we have to return to our true homeland, that is God's country, not the reality in which we find ourselves. And that, that is simply one uh, testimony of this. And we'll, we'll probably go into this when I get an opportunity over the next little while because it's something I'm, I've been thinking a lot about recently as well, in that while we can find within the world around us, within the way in which we think, uh, evidence that helps us understand the way in which we view the world as a Christian, the narrative that we have, the story that we have of how the earth came into being, how we fell, how we were redeemed through the death and resurrection of Christ, and how we have an eternal hope, actually fits in well with the narrative of what we see 
in the world around us. And I think that that's very exciting. And I think it's very helpful for those who are maybe struggling a little bit with faith or struggling with this, these doubts that's like, you know, I can't see you, God, and sometimes you feel a bit distant. Yet within that, we come back to that point that we are pointed back towards our heavenly home. We are, uh, in, a, in a sense, um, I'm reminded of a story I heard once about um, some uh, people I knew who kept homing pigeons. And um, they, they, uh, they had to release the pigeons. They just had too many of them, racing pigeons. And they had to release too many of the pigeons. And so they were bundled up into the car, driven over the mountains, across the border, across into another country, actually, for a certain... Uh, uh, this sounds fantastic, but it's actually true. Um, into another country. Uh, and, and, and then they released the birds in the other country. And sadly, the person got back in the car, turned around, came back home to find that all of the birds were meeting him at home. <laughs> Homing pigeons, they had just beaten him back. <laughs> uh, and, and it kind of is an interesting metaphor that came to my mind about how we can be like that, you know, it's sort of like no matter how hard circumstances try and take us away from our heavenly home, we have this inbuilt uh, uh, homing instinct that says, you know, we're, no, we're, not, we're not actually made for here, we're made for home, we're made for heaven, we're made for a place that is not... Um, uh, fill of evil and suffering, disappointment, the, the rain that falls on the just and the unjust. And um, so um, I, I'd like to, uh, so this is, I call like, I call this, uh, what is it, the, the existential angst of the Christian, um, that we feel like we don't belong here because we don't belong here. We were made for a higher place. And this is our internal testimony. I see myself as this. The problem is I'm a square peg made for a round earth or a spherical earth. Trying to fit into a spherical earth. Heavenly peg trying to fit into a spherical earth. So that, that was the... Uh, and it is through our faith in Christ that we're able to make sense of the world at large, of the reality of what we see. I think we're on to the... If we go to the next slide, um, instead... They were longing for a better country. And I skipped a verse there, but it's all right. This is, this is the point. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one, the heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I found that a little bit challenging when I first said God is not ashamed to be called their God. I'm like, that would be, that would be bad. Like, if you met God, and it's like, oh, cringe. You know, I'm a, like, oh, this guy is one of mine, but, you know, like, just... Play, you know, play. Have you ever been in that situation? I don't know, probably haven't. You're all good-looking, well-dressed, very cool people. But you ever been in that situation where, like, you know, I don't know. You've been in that situation where a person's embarrassed about you and you kind of know it. You know, you're their cringe factor. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, they're just... You, you, no one else, no one else has experienced this. This is just, this is just, this is just, this is just an, a me experience. Well, it's all right. I'm talking, so I get to talk from my experience, and, and you can get an insight into what it's like to occasionally be me. It's like you realize you're in a group of friends, and, and, and you're the one that's 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 embarrassing for for whatever reason, for whatever reason. And uh, I was thinking, how terrible would it be to meet God? And he's like, oh yeah, he's one of mine, but you know, he's, he's I'm not I'm not really I don't really want to claim that. See, we long for a better country. God is not ashamed to be called our God. And he has prepared a place for us, a better place, a heavenly place, a city of God. And, uh, and that, I think, is, is sort of the, the distilling of that. So what is, where does this go? Um, so, 
through faith, we make sense of the world around us. Our faith in God and the narrative, as I said, from creation to redemption, helps us to make sense of the world around us. I really love this... um, I really love this verse. Uh, this, this, uh, I, I actually found a picture of it. Um, a saying by C.S. Lewis. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, that is the sun, but, I, but because of it, I see everything else. So it's, it's this flip of, of worldview where it's not just like I have a faith, this is a part of my life, this is sort of this, this thing. It is actually the internal testimony that points towards God that is the reality of the sun that we see. So we see the sun in the sky in the same way we see the evidence of God in our lives, in the physical world, in physical creation, but also through the internal testimony of our, heart, of our hearts. And through our belief in God, we see everything else around us. It becomes the illuminating spark by which we see the world. So what is the difference? Well, we're talking about this focus of, of me for this year, and this is great and fascinating. And no doubt, if, 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 if everybody finds out that we're, you know, the emphasis is on me, you get, uh, you get hate mail. Because there's this feeling within Christendom that like, you can't focus on the individual. Me? You know, it's not about me, it's about others. It's, like, it's got to be about you know, this false humility. I'm a terrible person, but you know, I'm just doing God's work and this sort of stuff like that. And, and the reality is that this, this is sort of this thought that's pervaded Christianity. Well, I don't really have a problem building up the individual because I know why we build up the individual. I know why we want to see people move to a higher, higher plane of existence in every area of their lives, in their spiritual lives, in their intellectual lives, in their financial lives, in their business lives, in their work lives, in their social lives. In their, well, why do we want to build people to the next level? It's because what they have, they have to give away. Ultimately, it's about fulfilling the Great Commission. And if you're fulfilling the Great Commission with people that are just kind of like stumbling through life, um, or, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, it's, it's not, not sort of theologically correct, but it's hilarious. There's a, there's a, there's a poem called Bum Prints. It's a takeoff, like, footprints. And it's about, you know, like, how some people just kind of go through life, you know, leaving their bum prints in the sand from when they've fallen over. Um, you know, it's just like, you know, this isn't, that's not the life that we're called to live here. That's not the purpose. It didn't, you know, Christ didn't say, go into the world and make disciples baptizing in my name sort of awkwardly. Um, or, or, or through, through, through an, a sense of internal inferiority. Uh, we we, we want to see people build up so that they can build others up, um, right. you know, so that they can move from attending a connect group to running a connect group, so that they can move from... And, and, and I really encourage you, as challenging as it is, cap money is awesome. And it's not about you're in a terrible financial place and they'll get you to you know, uh, like it is kind of about, you can be in a terrible financial place and they'll help you, but it's really just about kicking you along one step, right? So, you know, you're bad with money, you get slightly better at money. You're good with money, you get slightly better at money, right? You're middle with money, you get slightly better. You're great with money, you get slightly better with money. It's just, it's, they're just, it's just trying to encourage you because, and, and the reason it's trying to encourage you is because the, um, un, like, unsecured debt is, the, the sorry, They'll explain a lot better than I will, but basically it's this idea that we live in a world that tries very much to get us into debt against things that have no security, and that debt is a form of slavery in the church because it stops you from doing the things that God has called you to do with your finances, right? It stops you from living a life because you feel like you can't speak into situations because you have this hanging over you, right? So so this is the, the emphasis. We want to see people released from debt to, what is it, release the captives and, produce, and, and, sorry, to release the captives and to preach good news. You know, 
Releasing captives is good news. Seeing people set free from debt. Hearing testimonies of people who have, like, in, in, an, in a tremendous hole, who managed to get out of debt. And not, only, not, not just get out of debt through debt forgiveness, although that's part of it, but actually get through the debt through a structured way so that they can say, well, not only did I get out of debt, but I paid that down. All of my accounts were settled. I can stand honorably amongst all of my debtors and say, you were paid back. And these are amazing things. That is, that is the nature of God in its essence. And then what was captivity becomes a testimony. What was something that was taking away from life? I'm sorry, I'm on a tangent, but this is interesting. Uh, what was something that's taking away from life actually becomes something that is life-giving. And uh, so I would just encourage you to, to consider it, uh, very much so because of, of the, the help that it is. And we've, we went through the training day. I, to be honest was, uh, you know, like I'm always a little bit, little bit edgy with this sort of stuff and I came away just sort of built up thinking, no, this is something that's really important. This is, this is about freedom. This is not about people trying to take things from you in any stretch of the imagination. This is about freedom and, and creating a generation of people who understand what it is to be free from debt, free from poverty, free from those things. So I, I really, really encourage you. Um, and, 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 uh, and we see that, we see the poverty as, 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 as a greater mission illuminated by the sun. Uh, it is through that the reason we do this is because of that. The reason we want to see people build up is so that they can build others up, right? It's, it's not wanting to get something out of you when you're built up. This is about building you up so that you have a sense of what God's true purpose is for your life and that you run and you run with that with both hands. Yeah. Clutch onto that with both hands. Um, there's sometimes... Uh, I, I love this other quote, the next one by... Um, by C.S. Lewis, uh, and, and uh, I love I this sort of, this is from Mere Christianity, uh, 1952. God lends us a little of his reasoning powers, and that is how we think. He puts a little of his love into us, and this is how we love one another. And then my, uh, my comment there, it all comes back to Genesis as a, as a nod to a comment that uh, 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 Dr. Rod often says that, that most, of, most of the answers that we seek actually have their form in Genesis. Um, and I love this one because we're made in the image of God. So God is, is, uh, God is capable of reason. Ergo, we have reason being made in the image of God. Now, it might be a little bit warped because we live in a, in a, in a fallen world and it's not the full extension of reason because that only God can have the infinite perfection of reason. In the same way that only God can have the infinite perfection, perfected form of love. But yet we love one another because God is love. Right? And, and, and that we are a reflection of that. And I love the way that that's expressed. He lends us a little of his reasoning powers, and that is how we think. He puts a little of his love into us, and that is how we love one another. I don't have space to put it up there, but it actually goes on to the analogy that it makes, is, um, that Lewis makes, is uh, like, like a small child forming letters, right, where the parent holds their hand with a pencil. And so they form letters with a parent holding their hand in the same way God holds our hand when we express love. God holds our hand when we think. And so the child is not necessarily forming the letters. It uh, is forming the letters in a form, but with God's help, it is actually forming the correct shape and pattern that is needed to communicate effectively. In that same way, God holds our hand while lending us a little of these things. And, and in that manner, we, we can express love in a full and reasonable way. Um, so... This is just the thoughts that I've been thinking along these things. Now, so what, what does this mean, this, this, uh, this, heavenly, this heavenly testimony? And I read something um, 
I have so many devices so that I can so that I can have you know a Bible over here and my notes over there and the slides on this one. It's uh, it's really good. Um, I'd like to read um, a little from Job 28. Uh, actually, I'd like to read a lot from Job 28, but we'll see how we go. Eh? Um, and uh, verse 12. But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? No mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me, and the sea says, as it is not with me, it cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed out in silver, it cannot be bought with the gold of Ophir, or precious onyx, or lapsus lazuli, neither can gold nor crystal compare with it, nor can it be had for jewels of gold, coral and jasper are not worth the mention. Poor coral and jasper. The price of wisdom is above rubies, the topaz of Cush cannot compare with it, it cannot compare with, it cannot be bought with pure gold. Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds of the sky. Destruction and death say, only a rumor of it, wisdom, has reached our ears. That's an interesting way of looking at the world, isn't it? Destruction and death say, only a rumor of wisdom has reached our ears. God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth, and he sees everything under the heaven. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and he tested it. And he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord is wisdom and to shun evil is understanding. A long verse in Job 28. And what I love about this, there's two points I'd like to make about this and the reason I read it in full. Two or three points. We'll, We'll see. The first is that um, I love, Job is, is sort of like, from, from a historical point of view, is one of the earliest writings in the Bible. Um, so, uh, you know, it's not sort of the earliest stories, obviously, because we're taking um, oral tradition, a few other sources and things like that, and they were, they were combined into these sort of the older narratives. But in terms of sort of complete writings, it's, it's one of the older, it has some of the oldest sources. <laughs> and, and I find it fascinating that some of our earliest thoughts you know, some, some of the earliest recorded thoughts uh, were along this kind of line that, that, that there's this disconnect between true wisdom and reason and the world and, and what we see and the fact that it can only be found in God and that it's of great value. You know, it's sort of saying the wisdom of God, which is the fear of the Lord, is, 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 is beyond the value of all of these things that were considered very valuable, with the exception of coral and jasper, obviously. Um, but describing all these things, even saying, you know, gold cannot purchase it, pure gold cannot purchase it, and things like that. And, and what's pretty about that is just how early, you know, the, the, how early these thoughts came together. Even at the, the, the beginnings of when we're starting to reason and put these things down, we have this testimony of the nature of wisdom and God, that we were thinking about these things at that stage. And these aren't sort of, you know, um, that, that was sort of the first, uh, the first major point of that. And I love this last bit because it kind of weighs in, you know, my world at the moment is uh, a large amount of testing, measuring, confirming, um, worrying when, uh, about testing, measuring, and confirming. It's, it's sort of the language is very similar to, uh, to scientific language or engineering language. And then he looked at wisdom. This is he being God. He appraised it, he confirmed it, and he tested it. And he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord is wisdom. And the shun evil is understanding. Uh, uh, this is great. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, there's this idea that you know, God's sitting there with a little wind van, just 
You know, I mean, he's God. He's spoken into being. He didn't need to test it. But this idea that, 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 you know, the idea that he established the force of the wind and he measured out the waters when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm. And he looked at wisdom and he appraised it. He confirmed it and he tested it to make sure it was all good. And then he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Um, so, that, that, and, and, so what does this, what does this mean? What does this translate into? Um, we have a faith. We have an understanding that we don't necessarily belong here. We've been built up and we understand the, the faith of the patriarchs and how their faithfulness, and uh, what is it? it was a faith that was accounted to them as righteousness even before Christ. You know, and and the, the miraculous that they saw in their lives, the power that they had, and the power that we now have to take the gospel and go to all the earth. What is the point of all of this? And um, I really, uh, Matthew 13, verses 44 and 45, two really short stories. And this is, this is the challenge that arises from this. And the reason why we focus on me or the individual is because ultimately the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for a fine pearl. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And now, I think this is sometimes misinterpreted in a sense that this isn't saying go and sell everything you have and uh, live a life as a hermit, sit on top of a, whatever it is, a pile of, of, of money or on a couch meditating on God day and night. I mean, you know, if that's what you feel called to do and, and you have a strong, confirmed sense of that, good on you. But for the reality is, for the most of us, that's not what we've been called to do. In fact, we, we have a strong theology of work in this church a reason for work, a reason for activity, a reason to express creativity because we've been created as creative beings as a reflection of a creative God. Um, uh, but, but this idea that if one finds something of great value, inestimable value, as, as, as Job 28 alludes to, you know, we can't measure the value of this. It's just very valuable. Then all of a sudden, your, your purpose in life shifts from all of the stuff that was kind of a sideline, a sideline ambition, to going after that one thing of true value. And everything you do becomes dedicated to that purpose, that thing of one value. So all of a sudden, your life switches. Does it mean it's bad to have ambition? No. Because godly ambition is great. Does it mean it's, it's, it's bad to have money? No. Because, you know, God, God, it is God who gives us the power to get wealth. And that wealth becomes a mechanism by which we, we spread the gospel. Does it mean that, that it's bad to be good at sports or something like that or, or to pursue that? I love uh, the comment Eric Liddell makes about, you know, when he, was, uh, he ran in the, he wouldn't run on a Sunday, but he ran in the 1920-something Paris Olympics. But he said, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Now, the latter part of his life was spent as a missionary in China, um, uh, an amazing part of his life. But, but that, for that period, God had made him fast, and when he ran, he felt God's pleasure. In the same way, you know, God gives us with gifts and abilities, and when we operate on those gifts and abilities, we feel the pleasure of God in that circumstance, and we bring about a testimony to others. In Liddell's case, it was the case of, what did he do? His 
race was being run on a Sunday. He refused point blank to run on a Sunday, so he ran in a race he hadn't trained for that was double the distance that he had no preparation for, and he won it. And it was in all the papers at the time that he would not run on a Sunday. And all of a sudden, this massive shift about putting God back in the national confidence comes because a person, when they ran, they felt God's pleasure. And, and, and this is the thing. It's like the things that we do, the things that we've been gifted with, the reality that we have, we have a new sense of purpose about it. My job, my family, my relationships, the, way in which, the things I do with my money, the things I do with my time, all of these things become uh, revealed in the light of the purpose that God has for us. And this is reasonable and rational. In the same way, if you find something of great value and you know the value of that, then you pursue it. You know, if we were to retell this in a modern sense, uh, this is, anyway, let's see. Um, you know, it's kind of like if you find something that's been mislabeled on eBay, right? And so, you know, you know what it's worth. No one else knows what it's worth because it's got the wrong, like, label on it or it's got the wrong misspelling or something along those lines. They've misspelled the brand name or something like that. You know, they left the C out of Gucci or whatever it was, and you snabbed a Gucci handbag for $5.43 or whatever it is. Um, you know, always bid for really odd cent numbers because you might win by a cent or two. So <laughs> just a little tip there, free. Um, but all of a sudden, when you find that thing that's been mislabeled, you're like, the amount of resource and time that you will put into getting that bargain probably far outweighs the value of the thing that you're actually doing. It's like if you charge your time out at five bucks an hour, it's probably worthwhile. But you'll sit there hour after hour making sure that you're on top of that bit because you see the value of it. You see that others haven't seen the value of it. And all of a sudden that becomes the focus of your intention and things like that. In the same way, there are valuable things to pursue on earth, but there are, greater, there are things that are of greater value in heaven. And when we have a heart for what is valuable on earth, all of a sudden, the pursuit... Uh, sorry, when we have a heart for what is valuable in heaven, let's get that right, right? all of a sudden, everything we, are, we do on earth becomes illuminated and informed by that. And it becomes powerful in that sense. So that is why we focus on the individual. This is why we, we run things like the Cat Money course. This is why we run things like Alpha. This is why we run things like Spirit Wars. This is why we run courses. This is why we have Sunday discussion points. This is why we do music. It's because we want to see people released empowered and emboldened to preach the gospel, not for our own personal benefit, but for the benefit of the kingdom of God, for the expansion of the kingdom of God. And, and, and this, this is the key, this is the driving heart behind it all. And when you exist in that heart, there is the scope to relax and be refreshed in that. Because you know that ultimately, as difficult as life is sometimes, we're not necessarily made for this world. We don't have to stay here forever. We have to run a good race while we're here, but our hearts are set heavenward, and uh, in that we can take some comfort. I, I thought I had five seconds left. It's actually just the start. The, the start. The time has been stopped. I, I just. Yeah, I did ask for the timer just to make sure. I, I, I've got, there's so much content in this area. Uh, it's really hard to sort of slim it down. We're going to talk more about this and things like that. It, it, it aligns with our church's desire to see people uh, and, and what Rod calls fully fulfilled Christians um, and, 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 uh, and, and what the rest of us call as well. Is so you know, people actually live out the fullness of their life for a purpose, uh, for the purpose of the gospel, for the cause of Christ. Um, so we're, we're gonna, I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to have a time of community. And uh, Lord, we just, we just pray, Lord God. Lord, we just um, we lift you up in this place, Lord God. 
We know that in you we have our center, our purpose, our desire, Lord God, and that as difficult it is to walk through this world as a stranger and as a sojourner, as someone who's here but feels like they don't really belong, Lord God, knowing that our hearts are fixed heavenwards, our intentions are to see your glory in this world, Lord God. But we know that in the middle of that, Lord, you say, Lord God, you talk of the testimony of those who've seen the goodness of God in the land of the living, Lord God. And we want to experience the goodness of God in the land of the living this year, Lord God. We want to be beacons of light that show the goodness of God in the land of the living this year, Lord God. We want to be empowered and emboldened, Lord God, raised up, Lord God, skilled and equipped, Father God, so that this year, Lord God, we can be a bright light shining on a hill for your glory, Lord God, for your cause, Father God. We thank you, Lord God, that you have gifted us, Lord God, with a little of your love so that we might love, Father God, and a little of your ability to think, Lord God, so that we might think, Lord God, and have...